our study here in the confession. Chapter 32, uh, we looked at this last week, but uh, we're about halfway through this first paragraph, and we'll read that again together um, and then pick up where we left off. Chapter 32 of the state of men after death and of the resurrection of the dead. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. Now last time we were looking together, we we looked at Hebrews and we looked at that picture of the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Uh, this scene of heaven being open to God's children, even on earth, as we gather to worship, that that's the assembly we're joining by faith. And we saw in that description that um, we are gathered before God in the company of the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And that's in Hebrews 12, 23. And so this middle statement uh, the souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness. Uh, that's a reference for that claim, that the souls of the righteous are made perfect, um, and they are in heaven in the very presence of God. So let's turn next to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. We see this taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're directed to verses 1, 6, and 8, and we'll read through these verses together, noting those in particular. Paul writing now says in verse 1, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
Now, as we look at these verses, that first verse, we see uh, our physical form, our bodies being compared to a tent, uh, the tent that is our earthly home. We know that if it is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. Now, we'll come back to looking more at the future state at the resurrection in terms of us receiving back a restored and fully perfected body. That also is the teaching of Scripture. But to the point that we're seeing in the confession at this time, uh, which has to do with this intermediate state between our death and that resurrection day when we have uh, laid down our mortal body and ascended into heaven if we're a believer of Jesus, our souls are carried to home uh, to be with God. We see um, it's, it's this uh, contrast that is put forward in the passage in verses 6 and 8. Uh, we're always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Or in verse 8, yes, we are good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So even before we have this uh, heavenly body prepared for us and given to us at the resurrection day, um, when we depart this body, when we're away from the body, where, where are our souls to be found? In verse 8, at home with the Lord. And so the scriptures don't teach any type of soul sleep or any such thing where our souls are unconscious or in some other location. But rather, if we have left this body, our souls are at home with the Lord. Let's also look at the next passage, which is Philippians 1. Philippians 1, verse 23. And so what... What is the experience of the believers of Jesus, the souls of the righteous, who have our bodies, when our bodies die, what, what is our experience? We have a joyful experience, a glorious experience of going into heaven and beholding the face of God in light and glory. Now that's um, the language the confession uses. And here in Philippians chapter 1, we have Paul's testimony as to, of course, he had a life of great hardship and great danger, and uh, his service to the Lord Jesus was a costly one, as he had been told it would be. There at the end of verse uh, 18, yes, and I will rejoice. This is Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, this imprisonment, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory 
in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So here, Paul's testimony, uh, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, you know, it, it is something that is a good thing for us to consider. Um, will we lose everything that we're living for when we die? Or will we have it multiplied manifold, as Paul, Paul testifies? He is living for the Lord Jesus Christ, for his smile of pleasure, for his service, and for the pleasure of walking with him in this life by his Spirit. For him to live as Christ, and what will death be for him? Well, it will be immeasurable gain. He will be going to a far greater experience of all of these good things of fellowship with Christ and serving him and, and a closeness with him that will far surpass what is attainable in this life for him to live as Christ and to die as gain. How will it be that? Well, what, what gain is in view in particular in verse 23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. When a Christian, when a believer in Jesus, leaves this life and lays down this mortal body, our souls go immediately and we are with Christ. We're in his presence. And that is what is captured in the language of our confession, uh, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. Who is in heaven? that gives this to us? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is. The Son of God who has taken on His human nature, He is in heaven, and we will be with Him. Just like Paul would say, um, our desire should be to be with Christ, and yet we should also have His willingness to continue on in service to the Lord as long as that service is required of us. And that's, uh, that was Paul's conclusion. As he was considering his own fate and the outcome of this imprisonment, he didn't know whether it would be uh, a release through execution or a release to continue working for a time. Uh, but he was confronting this with full courage, with hope, with joy, because he, he thought, well, whatever it is the Lord provides, it's going to be good for me either to go and be with him or to continue living in this life to the service of his Lord and Master. Let's also look at Acts chapter 3, verse 21. Again, what makes heaven so glorious? What is it that allows us entrance there? Uh, who must our faith be in, in fact? It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the only Savior of sinners. And he is in heaven. His humanity joined with his deity, uh, the person, Jesus Christ, is in heaven. Notice how that is pictured in the preaching of the apostles in Acts chapter 3. Peter is preaching now, and in verse 17 he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive 
until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Uh, notice there this, this great purpose and plan of God for the restoration of all things, things that even the Old Testament prophets anticipated and looked for. We're still longing for them. We're still waiting to see this world fully restored through the work of Jesus Christ, that work that has restored us within our souls and given us that eternal life through faith in him. Uh, is going to transform and restore the entire created order that God might uh, realize his purpose over that of the evil one, his enemy, who sought to ruin this world through sin. No, God's going to restore it all as he intended in perfection. And that is something that the Lord Jesus will accomplish when he comes again at the end he will restore all things. But notice what the current status is. The Lord Jesus is, he's, we're still waiting for him to come. Uh, where is he? Look there in verse 20. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So our Savior, Jesus Christ, is in heaven, even now when he ascended up into heaven, uh, there as the, the apostles saw him go in Acts chapter 1. He is uh, waiting for his children in heaven. He will be coming again to restore all things on the last day, his second coming, as we refer to it. But until then, he is in heaven. And so when we die, our souls, um, we who die before his second return, our souls go to our Savior. They go to be with Jesus, who is also in heaven. And with him, we will behold the face of God in light and glory. You remember what Philip had asked Jesus, uh, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus' answer, uh, have you been with me so long and you do not understand? Um, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And so when we will be with Jesus, we will be enjoying the fellowship, the presence, the fullness, as we read, in him the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. We'll be in the very presence of God, beholding the face of God in light and glory. Let's also look at Ephesians 4, uh, another passage about the Lord Jesus and his ascension into heaven. Um, he is the firstborn, as we read in Colossians chapter 1, and that's not only a title of preeminence and privilege, as we see again and again in the Old Testament, the position of the firstborn, but he is also the firstborn in another sense, in that he has gone on before. He is the first um, of the children of man to be glorified. He is the first to ascend into heaven. He is the first uh, who has gone on before us to bring us to himself. And so in verse 9 of Ephesians 4, uh, let's, let's back up just a little bit. 
in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, that's a quote from Psalm 68, and it's, it's a wonderful passage to study as we see Ephesians applying it to the Lord Jesus. It's a psalm about the triumph of God over his enemies for the salvation of his people. That's the work Jesus has come and accomplished and is accomplishing. But in verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so Jesus, the Son of God, he descended from heaven. Uh, he came and uh, was uh, su submitted to <clears throat> the work of the Spirit in giving him this, this hu human nature that he took upon himself in the womb of the Virgin Mary in the miracle of the Incarnation. Uh, he descended from heaven into this fallen, cursed world, taking a, a fallen, cursed human nature upon himself, uh, though sinless in his case, uh, but he has descended. At, this is the same one now, the, the Son of God who came and was incarnate for our salvation, who has ascended back into heaven uh, that he might fill all things. He, he is the one who has ascended in glory and in victory into heaven itself. And so when we die, uh, we're not going to some uninhabited place or some empty place, but we are going into heaven, into the throne room, and we are going to be with our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is there waiting for us even as we wait for him to come again. And then uh, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, the American uh, edition added a passage that speaks specifically to this last final phrase, um, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. Um, in other words, the souls of the, of the righteous are enjoying the bliss of heaven, and yet it's not the final state, it's not the state of perfection in that sense. They're still waiting for the redemption of their bodies when they will be reunited. And we see an example of that in 1 John chapter 3, uh, looking ahead to the return of Christ to that resurrection day when our bodies are restored, uh, being resurrected and perfected and reunited. We will be reunited with our bodies on that day. That's something that we will look forward to even in heaven. And we see this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so one of the things we look forward to in the return of Jesus Christ to this world 
is that when we finally see uh, the very uh, presence of God in the Lord Jesus Christ in His glorified state, when He appears again, He will transform us and make him make us like Himself. We shall see Him as He is. Uh, we shall be like Him. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. And so that uh, longing for the full redemption of our bodies, which should be with us even now, uh, is something that is still ahead of us when our souls go to heaven. We're still, as Paul would testify, uh, longing to put on that heavenly body, uh, that heavenly uh, temple that God has prepared for us. So this phrase then, I think we've seen each of these passages, the souls of the righteous being then made perfect in holiness are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. That is the state of those, the intermediate state between death and the final resurrection day for those who believe in Jesus, who are sanctified, who are uh, described here as the souls of the righteous being made perfect in holiness. Well, what then is the fate of those who uh, reject the gospel, who continue on a, a path of rebellion against God, even in spite of the coming of his own son to be the savior of the world? We keep reading, and the souls of the wicked are cast into hell where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. It's the opposite of all the light and glory and blessing of the heavenly state. In Luke chapter 16, we have this account that Jesus gives um, in terms of not a warning, truly, a warning not to live for the good things of this life, not to hold on to those, not to uh, hoard them up and, and enjoy them selfishly at the expense of our brother, uh, but rather to uh, live a life with a view to eternity. And this was the account that Jesus told as a warning in this regard. If you looked at these two individuals that Jesus mentions in this account, uh, the world would very clearly know which of these had the preferable life, which of these was on a, on a course that they would choose to be on. And yet Jesus shows just how short-sighted the world's assessment is and the world's wisdom is in terms of how life is approached. And in verse 19, Jesus said, There was a rich man, this is again in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. 
And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so again, we have in this account a sober warning of which values uh, we set our store by and live, live for. Uh, this man, clearly, he's not just being punished for having material possessions. That's not the significance when Abraham says, you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in his uh, like manner bad things. Um, it, it's not just to equal everything out in the end. That's not the purpose or the point. But what is it that this man pleads for after being denied any relief personally? He pleads for God to send a messenger, even from the grave, to his brothers to warn them so that what? So that they might repent and they would not come into this place of torment. Uh, Lazarus had lived a life where he also had ignored the word of God. He had ignored the command of God to love his neighbor as himself. Uh, he had hardened his heart to the suffering and the misery and the need and the want of a man right at his, uh, his home, uh, a man who uh, was in need and, and sick and who could see and desire to be fed with just the, the crumbs that were falling from this man's table, uh, but all indications are that he was denied even this. And so he, though he had uh, a hope in God and put his faith in God, he had had quite a hard life of disease and want and lack. And yet, even in his case, uh, the one who put his faith and trust in God finds himself vastly rewarded and blessed. Uh, this man, on the other hand, who had all of these, all of the goods of this world, he had closed his heart to his brother, and and to his God, and finds himself in in torment. And this is told uh, by the Lord Jesus as uh, not some hyperbolic uh, parable or account, but is as a sober warning of what the actual end and experience of those who leave this life apart from God will encounter. Our confession, therefore, says, And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. In Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, we have the account of the selection of a new um, apostle from among the disciples of the Lord Jesus 
to fill in the number. As you remember, Judas had left the disciples. He had betrayed the Lord Jesus and had uh, given himself over in despair to death. And so they have gathered and they're praying. Uh, they cast lots and, and there are uh, two put forward. And uh, they pray. And in, uh, <clears throat> let's, let's read in verse 15. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. It became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called jo Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. The lot fell on Matthias. He was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now, as you, as you read that, it's easy to read over the significance of that little phrase at the end of verse 25. As they're praying, they're praying for God to show and make known who should take Judas's place among the apostles. And they, they make this reference to how he, Judas, has turned aside to go to his own place. Now, when you think about that, what, what was his own place. Well, it wasn't uh, some very exclusive private graveyard that's in view there. You remember Judas had cast the gold back into the, uh, the temple complex there. He, he tried to return it, the, the money or the silver rather, that he had been paid to betray the Lord Jesus. And they took it. They said, well, we can't put it in the temple treasury because it's blood money. And they used it to buy a field <clears throat> which was named Hakeldama, Field of Blood. Uh, they, they, they used it to acquire a field just for the burial of unwanted or, or a common graveyard for those that had no family to, uh, to bury a person uh, with loving memory. This was just to be uh, a place for unknown or... Um, a common graveyard. And so that's not what it's being referred to when it talks about he, he turned aside to go to his own place. It's not his, his graveyard that wasn't his. He was just buried in this common lot uh, along with others that had no one to remember them. 
But rather, um, as the confession makes reference here, Judas turned aside to go to his own place. When he died, his soul went to his place, which was into the torments of hell. In 1 Peter chapter 3, we have another reference then to the torments, uh, to the um, restraint upon the souls of the ungodly who upon death uh, are cast into this place of torment and darkness reserved to the judgment of the great day. They're being held. Uh, notice in verse 18 of First Peter chapter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. It's an interesting passage here where uh, the work of Jesus now that he has come, he has died and been raised from the dead, has ascended into heaven, uh, it's, it's compared to and is very similar to looking back on the account of Noah. When there was great wickedness, uh, there was wickedness such on the, on the earth that God looked and all mankind had fallen into wickedness. Only one man, only Noah, um, was found righteous and faithful. And, uh, and so in that same context, he has uh, received these instructions God gave him to build the ark, that there is great judgment coming upon mankind. And with that, it took quite a number of years for this ark to be constructed. And during this time frame, um, Noah, as a preacher of righteousness, as he's described elsewhere in the scriptures, was declaring the reality of God's um, hatred against this sin, uh, the judgment that God had promised to un unleash upon sin, and was offering um, Escape was, was calling upon, as a preacher of righteousness, calling upon his neighbors, those around him, to leave off their wickedness and not be swept away in this flood, but to rather seek refuge in the ark. Now, those calls went unheeded. But in much the same way, there is now a, another day when there is the great abounding wickedness of man's uh, heart being lived out around us. There is one who has been commissioned to accomplish the salvation of those who will uh, repent of their sins and turn away from that to God for his mercy, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way of escape 
Noah was called to build the ark, the Lord Jesus is himself the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, they are to come and find refuge in him by faith and to give themselves to him, to turn, turn away from this world that is calling for the judgment of God. Now, as, as in the course of making this comparison, as Peter is calling upon his readers to consider themselves and their place in, in history in much the same sober light as though they're in the days leading up to the flood when there's an abounding wickedness, the illusion of safety and security, but there is an imminent judgment of God impending and only one way of escape. That's the very same context for the people of God in the days that Peter is addressing. And even now, we still live in these last days. Um, notice how he applies that in verse four or chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. In other words, this is the purpose, this call to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, to come to find salvation from the judgment that surely will come upon sin. This is the reason that the gospel was preached back in those days, even to those who are dead now. Uh, that they might have an opportunity to repent and be saved. And some have. But notice, out of those that uh, Noah preached to, uh, out of those that Christ by His Spirit came and proclaimed that offer of mercy and that call to repentance, um, how many of them turned aside? Well, we know that in verse 20, uh, they did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, when the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Out of all of those people, only Noah and his sons ultimately entered the ark. Only they had faith to believe God's word and to flee the wrath to come and to find salvation in the provision that God had appointed. And so it is um, in our day, only those who come to the Lord Jesus may have salvation and deliverance from that judgment. But in the course of, of explaining this and calling upon his readers to live with that urgency, to leave off of the sinful ways that they were found in, uh, that they might be redeemed and washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ, he, he gives this reference 
um, as a description to those who heard that preaching in the days of Noah. And where are they? Where are they now as Peter is writing? Well, in verse 19, uh, he, he, that is Jesus, he, he went in the Spirit and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. That these who in their lives heard that proclamation of repentance, of righteousness, of deliverance from the judgment to come in the ark that God had provided through the building of Noah. Uh, they did not obey. They did not heed that preaching of righteousness. And so they perished in that flood. And even now, this is thousands of years later in Peter's day, uh, they are referred to now as the spirits in prison. Uh, they are still waiting for the final judgment to be pronounced on that great judgment day. But their bodies perished in that flood, and their souls went immediately to this place of confinement and torment where they are held and reserved unto that judgment of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the Scripture acknowledges none. And so this first paragraph in our confession deals particularly with the state of men after death um, and focuses upon the, the fact that we have an immortal soul. All mankind is given that gift. And this soul will continue on after the death of our bodies, either going to heaven if we have heeded the call of the gospel if we have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ unto our salvation, or if we reject that call like those in the days of Noah, then our souls go to a place of torment that the Bible calls hell, which is referred to as a prison of darkness and gloom waiting for the day of judgment. And there are no other alternatives besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. In other words, there's no third choice. We either go to be with God in bliss and glory and blessing, or we are excluded from the bliss of his presence and are confined in this place of darkness and torment as the just punishment for a life of rebellion and sin, uh, such as the rich man and Lazarus, uh, illustrate. Those are the only two alternatives. So we, uh, we need to take heed to our own souls and give more thought to that. It's easy for us to, to be pulled into the way of thinking of the rich man in this world and looking at only the affairs of this life, but God often tests our faith and, and gives testament to a day yet coming uh, when he will make all things right by calling upon his children to suffer far more want than those, for a time at least, than those who have um, rejected him. They often enjoy the pleasures of this life, but looked at from the standpoint of eternity, 
uh, what a what a horrifying and sad choice to make. Well, let's pray and ask God to give us such hearts to seek after him. Oh, Lord, we are sober, sobered to consider the teaching of your word about the eternal nature of our souls and that we will either uh, spend an eternity in bliss in heaven or an eternity in torment in hell. And, Lord, how easy it is for us to ignore these things or to act as though they're not true. And we, we act that way and we find our hearts tending that way when we uh, evaluate only in terms of the affairs of this life. Lord, help us rather to look beyond, to look to the heavenly city, the eternal inheritance that you have prepared for us so that we would be willing to cheerfully suffer any hardship or loss or want in this life if that is what we are called to uh, in order to be faithful to you and your call upon our lives. We pray that we would be like Abraham and be willing to leave uh, peace and security uh, in answering your call upon us. We pray that you would bless us, Lord. We do desire to, um, to have that with which to provide for ourselves and our families and those around us. We pray that you would give us diligence and a, and a, a vision to take dominion in this world for your glory. And yet we also acknowledge, Lord, that such may not be your pleasure. And we pray that you would give us perseverance and grace uh, that we would press on Whatever the circumstances, however you bless our efforts and labors uh, to work diligently, O oh Lord, we pray that in all things we would be uh, humble and teachable and responsive to your word, that our hearts would be full of faith and joy, and that we would um, delight in your presence, such that with Paul we could have and share his testimony, that for us to live as Christ, and to die is gain. Oh Lord, please deliver those who are so lost and stumbling toward their own destruction, hardened in the deceitfulness of sin. Oh Lord, only you, only you by your Holy Spirit have the power to break the chains of sin, to open the eyes of the blind, and to call to life those who are spiritually dead. We pray that you would do that. Lord, we pray that any in this place who are yet apart from the Lord Jesus, who have been slumbering in their sin, who have been complacent and at ease, that, that you would speak your powerful voice and call them to life, and that you would do your great work of making alive what has been dead. We pray that we would give ourselves in a life of repentance and self-denial and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might escape that judgment that surely will come. And we pray that you would <clears throat> bless us now as we gather with the rest in this place to worship you. We pray that you would give us great joy and blessing. And for those who are sick and unable to be with us, we pray that your spirit would um, bring us all before that common throne that we might enjoy the fellowship of one another through your Holy Spirit as, as we do even with uh, that heavenly host. Please grant us this, we pray, for your name's sake.
we, we ask this in Jesus' name.